If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be picking up in verse 1 and moving all the way through verse 12. There were a number of reasons why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, but one of the reasons was because he was taking up an offering for the Jerusalem church. This had been going on for some time. Uh, The church at Corinth had already been made aware that uh, Paul was coming and that he was taking up an offering. So he's asking them to be prepared for this. And he gives some very clear-cut instructions on the way to, to handle this. The way to handle this. So a little bit about Jerusalem because this is the church that they were taking up the offering for. I think most of us are familiar with Acts chapter 2, right? The birth of the church. That day, the Holy Spirit uh, fell upon unbelievers. They got saved. Um, The church was born. 3,000 people came to Christ that day. Now, there were many people traveling from far and wide to come to Jerusalem because there was a special feast, the Feast of Pentecost. So when these people became Christians, that was the hub of Christianity. Many people just stayed This is where it was happening. So now there's this influx of people. What do you do? Many of them no longer have a a way to support themselves. They're far from home, far from family. On top of that, because Judaism was was predominantly the, the religion there, if you were named as Christian, then you would be kicked out. Kicked out of the synagogue, kicked out of your family. You no longer had that support system. Perhaps the family business, the trade that you were being brought up in, that is no longer there. Uh, So all of a sudden, you have no way to take care of yourself. You no longer have that support system. And the Scriptures indicate that in the beginning, many people in the church were selling all that they had to care for each other, but inevitably that did dry up. And then on top of all of that, there were famines in the land. And in Acts chapter 11, it's recorded for us, verse 27, it says that in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which has also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So this would have been about approximately 45, 46 A.D. So this is roughly um, 15 years after Christ um, has ascended into heaven. Now you have Saul and Barnabas. Saul will soon be going by the name Paul, right? But at this point, this is about 14 years after his conversion experience. There's a famine in the land, and they were sent out, and they were going to be taking up an offering and uh, delivering it to the churches in that area. But this, even here, is not specifically the offering that we're talking about. It would have been about ten years after this point, roughly ten years later, that Paul, uh, led of the Lord, began to take up an offering for the Jerusalem church. So in Romans chapter 15... Verse 24, it says, Paul speaking, Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor and the saints who are in Jerusalem. 
So that's, that's kind of what's going on. And the text that we're looking at today, as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, it's 12 verses and it could be broken up roughly in three different chunks. And the first verse speaks about God's grace produces generosity. God's grace empowers generosity. Then from there, verses 2 through 7 begins to talk about the appropriate way in which we extend generosity. How then shall we give? If God has empowered us, if God is working through us, this work of generosity, what's the appropriate way to give? And then last, what really is our motive? Because there, there are many different uh, ways in which this can get twisted up. So why do we give? Why do we give? And so that's in verses 8 through 12. So I'm going to read that text. And then we'll pray. 2 Corinthians 8.1 Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great uh, trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the richness of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that as though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. Let's pray. Father, we love You, and we are so grateful. We're thankful for this church body uh, that You have called together in Napa here in this community. And um, Lord, we love You. We love each other. And we are uh, excited to be able to come together and to sing to You and to share in communion and to be able to hear Your Word taught. So I just pray that Your Word would go forth and that people would really sense the Holy Spirit speaking. That Your presence would be so very tangible in this room, and that, Lord, Your Word would come to life, and that we would be convicted, that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged. And perhaps there are some in this room who don't know You, Lord. Today, they can know You. So I pray that Your Holy Spirit would speak to everyone where they're at. And I just pray that You would uh, give me the ability to speak accurately, to speak with conviction, to speak with reverence, to speak with power, and to speak with love. 
And we thank You in Your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's dig in. Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Alright, so we're going to put a map up at this time. I just thought it would be very helpful for us to kind of understand all the churches that are involved. And this is not the nicest map. It's pretty simple, but it's easy to understand, so I like it. So up here is Macedonia. Those are the churches of Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea. Um, that is where we believe Paul is writing from right now. And he's writing to Corinth down here, right? So that's Achaia, that's where Corinth is located. A moment ago I read to you from Romans, so the church of Rome is up here. Paul traveled over there to take up a collection. Over here in Asia Minor, we actually have the, the seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3. Specifically here though, we have Ephesus and Colossae. Those are churches that are well known to us. And down here in Antioch, this was kind of the hub of the church. It seemed like that's where Paul launched out on all of his missionary journeys. And down here is Israel, and here's Jerusalem specifically. And that is where uh, the famine is happening and where they are taking up a collection. So all these churches all through this area, all the way down here, that's where Paul is traveling. And we're going to be speaking very specifically about the churches of Macedonia. We kind of start with that. Paul uses them as an example. They are the example that Paul goes to as far as generosity and, uh, and how we give. So he says, We make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15-16, through 16, Paul is speaking to them. He says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the Gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So this, this was a, an area where the churches were very kind, very generous. They really took care of Paul. They had a reputation for it. And Paul said that it's the grace of God that was bestowed upon them. It's God's grace that led them to be so very generous. This is important, guys. Four times in this text we see this. It's referred to as God's grace. Now, God's grace. That's, that's something we talk about a lot and we usually define it as unmerited favor. Absolutely. It's, it's God's favor poured out on us. We didn't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's just God's goodness. Because of Christ, because of what He has done, God pours His blessings out on people. It means to be inclined, favorable towards, leaning towards to share benefit. It's preeminently used of the Lord's favor, freely extended to give Himself away to people because He is always leaning toward them. So God in His grace, He extends Himself toward us. He is leaning in. He is looking to bless. He is looking to pour Himself out. That is God's posture towards believers and towards His church. And that grace that we speak of, that unmerited favor, that is grace for salvation, but not just salvation. It's grace for a godly living. Grace for righteousness. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. So God's grace teaches us to deny ungodliness 
and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So God's grace not only saves us, but it trains us, it empowers us. And just as God is seeking to uh, pour out favor upon people, He is inclined toward them, He leans in. As that flows through us, that should be our posture too. God's grace empowers, God's grace enables, God's grace trains people to be generous. And that was the case with the churches in Macedonia. Paul gave the glory to God. Yes, they were generous, but it was God working in and through them. And there is the gift of giving. There are some people who are uniquely gifted to give. It is a spiritual gift. We see that in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. It says, He who gives with liberality or with generosity. So if you are gifted in that area, go for it. Be generous. Do it with liberality. And I, I knew a guy, even before I was a believer, he was telling me about this. He said, I, you know, I can really tell when God is leading me to give because I'm a tightwad with my money. He said, I don't like to give money away. Uh, but I will say this guy was one of the most generous men that I had ever met. And he was sensitive to when the Lord was leading him to give. And oftentimes this gift is tied in very closely with that of mercy. If a person has the gift of mercy, um, God gives them a broken heart for people and He gives them the ability to, to extend favor and grace and to, to be a blessing to those people when they're in their greatest need. So we see giving is most definitely an act of grace. It is empowered by grace. Verse 2. Now we're going to start looking at uh, how, how we give, what it looks like. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Let me reword this. In the midst of much difficulty and out of deep poverty, the Macedonians gave generously and joyfully. It was not easy for them to give. Deep poverty means it refers to the most severe type of economic deprivation, the kind that caused a person to become a beggar. Out of deep poverty, it says that they gave with liberality. The Greek word for liberality can be translated generosity or sincerity. It is the opposite of being duplicitous or double-minded. The Macedonian believers were rich in their single-minded, selfless generosity to God and to others. And then it said that they did so joyfully. And next week, Pastor Bill is going to be covering this verse, or it might be the following week, but 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. They gave joyfully. They were cheerful in the way that they gave. That word cheerful literally means hilariously. I mean, they just were overwhelmed with joy at the ability to give. So they gave out of their poverty, they gave generously, and they gave joyfully. They gave joyfully. Verse 3. He says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. So there are three important keys in this verse alone that we must catch. They gave according to their ability. They gave beyond their ability. 
and they were freely willing in their giving. So first, according to their ability, this is not a tithe. Uh, I think that oftentimes we refer to our giving as tithing, right? That's just kind of shorthand. It's the, uh, the easy way of saying our offerings to the Lord. Tithing is an Old Testament principle. The Old Testament actually had three tithes, which totaled about 23 to 30% annually to fund the national government of Israel to take care of public festivals and provide welfare. So if we were really tithing, according to the Old Testament system, we'd be given more like 30% of our income yearly. And that's not what the New Testament teaches. All right? And we'll talk more about that in a moment, but suffice it to say, we give according to our ability, not so much percentages or what people would tell us we ought to give. It says that they gave beyond their ability. Now this speaks of sacrificial giving. So they gave according to their ability, but then they gave above and beyond. They gave sacrificially. Let me say this. It's not the amount so much that uh, matters to God, but what it cost you. What did it cost you to give? In 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, King David was trying to buy a piece of land that he was going to offer sacrifices to the Lord on. And the guy that owned the land said, look, it's for the Lord, let me just give you the land. And David said, no, I want to buy it. And the guy was pretty insistent about this. And uh, finally David said this, the king said to him, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. He said, I'm not going to give God something that didn't cost me anything. What is that? He said, I will buy it from you at a price. And then I was thinking about this. this is, uh, it might seem a little unrelated, uh, but I, I think you'll, you'll make the connection. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 46... Jesus says, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? So I think the principle is this. It's really easy to love people that are lovable, or that love you, or that are really nice to you. But how does that even really count? What is impressive to God is loving people who are unlovable, people who may hurt you or speak ill of you. We're instructed to pray for those people, to love those people. The same is true with giving. Right? We can give out of our abundance, and sure, that's, that's wonderful. Praise God. But God really looks at what it costs you. Was there any, any sacrifice in that whatsoever? God looks at the cost. Was it... Was it uh, was there any challenge whatsoever in it? And then obviously, I think a lot of us know the story of the widow in Mark chapter 12 and the two mites. Um, Jesus was sitting at the temple and He was watching people put their money in the, uh, in the offering, uh, whatever it was, it was called. It was some sort of a metallic box. And it was kind of designed so that people would break their money down into the smallest coin possible and they would throw it in there and it would be very loud and everyone would say, wow, look at that person. Look at how much they gave. So this was going on and Jesus is watching and then this little old lady comes up and puts what would be the equivalent of a fraction of a penny in there. And Jesus jumps up and says, 
that's impressive. Did you see that? She just gave more than all of these people combined because she gave out of her poverty. She gave all that she had to give. She gave sacrificially. But then it says in, uh, back in 2 Corinthians that we are to be freely willing in our giving. They were freely willing. Again, 2 Corinthians 9-7, that same verse I just read a moment ago, says, So let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. So it should come from a heart that desires to give, a heart that desires to bless. Um, freely willing, you should not be conned into anything, you should not be manipulated, you should not be pressured at all. If you are, then that is not biblical. Now, I, was, I remember when I was living in Tennessee uh, not that long ago, I was talking with a co-worker and he was an elder at his church and I was telling him how we don't pass the, the collection plate around and he said, do you realize that you are robbing your people of a blessing? I said, really? How so? I was like, well, how do you guys do it? So he, he told me, he said, I get up every Sunday morning during the worship part of the service and I give a little talk on giving and the importance of it. Then at that point, I'll ask everyone in the congregation, okay, did everybody bring their tithe today? And everyone raises it up in the air. Everyone in the congregation. And so then he prays over their tithe, and then they have the ushers come forward and start to single file march everybody up to the front of the sanctuary, and they put it in the plate right up front. And I just thought, you've got to be kidding me, man. I bet you they really tithe at that church. You know, it, it was ridiculous to me. That is pressure that is putting people on the spot i just didn't even know what to say to that um it should not be we give uh freely willing not being pushed or forced or manipulated and that was god's heart all along even in the old testament leviticus the first six chapters uh talks about different types of offerings and out of all the offerings that are laid out a few of them were were totally voluntary you didn't have to do it, but if you wanted to do it out of a heart of worship, it was called a free will offering. So throughout the whole Bible, we see that there was a place for just simply giving because we love the Lord, we love what He has done, we, we appreciate Him, and we want to give back. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. So verse 4. Verse 4 says, Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of of the ministering to the saints. I want to read that again. That word imploring means like pleading or begging. Pleading with us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the partnership of the ministering to the saints. The Macedonian church begged Paul. They pleaded with Paul that they could give to the saints, that they could partner with Paul, that they could partner with the other churches in taking care of the needy. They understood what it meant to be called to partner with somebody. To be called to partner with something that is bigger and greater than themselves. Would you say that you're called to Cornerstone? Do you believe that God has called you to this church? My hometown that I came from, I, someone told me, uh, one of the pastors one time, I think in that county there were like 900 churches. And there was a church for anybody and everybody. Whatever you want, they've got it. And unfortunately, what happens in a, in a place like that is 
you get into the habit of bouncing around and going to the church that has all the things that you like. And when that happens, you really lose the sense of this is where I'm called to be. This is where God has called me. My, my place in the body of Christ is right here. If you know that, if you know that your place is here, then you are partnering with us. You believe in what is happening here. You believe in the leadership. You believe in the mission. You believe in what we're investing in. You believe in, in all of that. And you want to partner with us in it. You want to be a part of that. So are you? Would you say that you are actively participating, actively involved with this congregation, giving, supporting, loving, praying, caring for each other. Are you actively involved? The churches in Macedonia were. They pleaded for an opportunity to do so. And let me just say this. I'm kind of talking a little bit about why we give to the church. We don't just give to the church. There are many ways that we give, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but I believe in giving to the church because of what I just said, because you believe that you're called there. You are intimately aware of where your money is going, uh, what it's being invested into. You're partnering with us in it. But at the same time, let me just say this. You know, the church has had my back. The church, from the time I first started walking with the Lord, the church has been there for me. Whether it was in South Carolina, Tennessee, or all the way over in California now, the church has been there for me. And so I'm so grateful for that. People have been generous to me at times when I was uh, really needed the most. Uh, the church at large and individually, people have cared for me and, and helped me. And I'm so grateful for that. And I want to be able to do the same for others. Right? I want to be able to help the church to be able to help people. Right? Just as the church has cared for me, I want to care for others. I want to see the church be able to do the same. So we, we invest in the church. We give to the church so that the church can do what the church does. Amen? Amen? And you don't just have to give in the offering box. There are many ways that we give. You can give to people in the community. You can give to people in your family. You can give to missionaries one-on-one. -on -one. There are organizations outside of the church, parachurch organizations. I mean, there are many different ways that we may be called of the Lord to support people or to give financially or to care for others. And the obvious application in all of this is that we should be caring for the poor. Right? I mean, the Bible makes a big deal about that, but let's not forget that that's what this offering was for, that Paul was taking up, was for the poor saints in Jerusalem, the people who were down and out, who were hungry, who were in need. We should be about the business of caring for others, especially the poor. We don't want to neglect that. Verse 5. He says that, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So Paul said they didn't just comply with our request. We didn't just say, hey, we want to take up an offering. And they said, okay, we'll give. What do you want? They gave themselves to the Lord first. They heard from God as to what and how they were to give. And consequently, they gave above and beyond, I think, even what Paul would have expected. In verse 3, it says that they gave above and beyond, right? So that's, that's another distinctive here. It's not so much about the percentage, as I said, but what would the Lord have you to give? Hear from the Lord. 
Hear from the Lord. That's what they did. They sought the Lord and they gave according to His will. And they gave above and beyond because of that. And Paul was, was very blessed by that. Verse 6, So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. So we know Paul wrote several letters to the church in Corinth, and at one point Titus was the, the man to deliver one of the letters, and we believe at that point Titus uh, gave clear-cut instructions about giving. So Paul said, just as Titus had begun this work, we encourage you to complete this, and there's that word, this grace. Complete this grace that is in you as well. Verse 7, But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. So Paul says, look, you may be strong in faith, speech, knowledge, diligence, and love, but you're still lacking. You're still lacking this one thing. Don't neglect that. And remember in 1 Corinthians how Paul really had to kind of wrangle them in and, and give them more clear-cut instruction on the gifts operating in the church. They were very gifted. And a number of these in this list are spiritual gifts. And Paul says, look, you are a very gifted church and you're operating in the gifts, but don't neglect this one. This is so very important. So guys, you may be doing really well in this area, that area, this area, that area, but this is one that you don't want to neglect. Verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. I love this verse and I'm so glad that it is in here because I just want to take a moment and talk about Jesus. Right? This is kind of a reprieve for my soul right now. Let's just focus on Him for a moment. Right? Because of what He did and who He is and give glory to, to Jesus. I love the cross. Don't you love the cross? I'm so grateful for that. So Paul says, I don't speak by commandment. I'm not commanding you to do anything. You have an example that has been set. Really, the bar has been set by the Macedonian church. But even above and beyond all that, Christ has set the example. Our Lord Jesus, though He was rich, though He has dwelled in heavenly, majestic glory from all of eternity past, He stepped down from that. He emptied Himself of that glory. He took it off as though it were a coat or a shirt. And He took on flesh. And He came. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He let go of it. He emptied himself and he came to this earth and he took the form of a servant, the form of a slave. And he lived a very poor life. And he lived an obedient life. The obedient life that we could not live, Christ lived. He alone is good. He, is, he alone is the only one in human history who has kept God's law perfectly. He did that for us. But then He was obedient all the way to the point of death. The death on the cross. Jesus poured His life out to the death. He gave everything that He could possibly give. 
The Father in heaven gave the very best that He could possibly give. He gave His beloved Son, the darling of heaven. Jesus gave everything that He could possibly give. He gave His life away. He became poor so that we could be rich spiritually because we were blind. We were starving. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's as poor as it gets. But Jesus gave us life. Jesus gave us life and that more abundantly. He gave us eternal life with the Father. He became poor so that we could be rich, so that we could have the riches of Christ and be seated in heavenly places and have our eternity set. And that's beautiful news. And that's the example, guys. That's the example Christ has set. So if He was willing to pay the highest price, should we not be generous? Should we not look like Jesus? That same power that raised Christ from the dead is working in us. Should we not also be gracious, extending ourselves towards others, giving ourselves? So that is the Gospel and that is our motivation. And because of that, guys, I truly believe that giving is an act of worship. It's worship. So when I give, when I, when I put money in the offering box, I'm, I'm thinking very specifically, Lord, thank You for what You have done. Thank You for providing for me. I worship You. I just give You back a small part of what You have given. Lord, You've given me so much. And I acknowledge Your good hand of provision in my life. May this be acceptable in Your sight. May You be pleased by this. Can You take this, Lord, and multiply it and use it for Your glory? Can people be helped? Can people be loved? Can people be cared for? It's an act of worship. And all the way back in the Old Testament, Malachi, right, the, the nation of Israel had been carried off into captivity for 70 years. In Babylon, they came back. The, uh, the temple was rebuilt. It wasn't like it was in its glorious days, but it was rebuilt nonetheless. And the sacrificial system had uh, started back. And people had good, good offerings to give, but they weren't. They were giving the leftovers. They were giving the, the blind and the maim sheep and goats. And God was not pleased with that. He's like, how, what good thing have I withheld from you? And, and this is... This is how you return that. You know, you give me the leftovers. So I always want to give God the best, whether it's my time. I love to give God the first part of my day. It's not a drudgery to me. I love it. I love to meet with my Lord first thing in the morning. When I am fresh, when my mind has not been tainted with, with the cares of the world that day, I'm able to give God that. I want to give God the first fruits of my increase financially, Whatever it is, my giftings, whatever it is that God has given, I want to give it to Him. You understand all of it. That's our motivation, and it's, it's an act of worship. And then verse 10. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but you now also must complete the doing of it that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. So he said, look guys, you, had, you have the right heart here. You have good intentions. You set out to do this thing. Let me encourage you to complete it. Finish the work that you started. Don't stop short. 
May I say that sometimes good intentions never become more than good intentions. We have a desire to do something, but no follow-through. And Paul says, don't do that. If it was in your heart, go for it. If it is within your means, go for it. If the Lord has led you to do so, go for it. And don't assume that others are. Don't be so quick to assume that everyone else is doing it. Um, I thought this was kind of a neat, a neat illustration. I thought of this years ago, back when American Idol was, was really popular. Um, I remember hearing about this. There were a couple of years where all of a sudden the people who were clearly the best, clearly the best, I mean, these should be the people that, that win, they are, are clearly everyone's favorites, were getting voted off. And they were wondering, well, why is this happening? And they began to realize that people assumed that because they're so good and they're so loved that they're going to win, right? That's a given. So they started voting for the other people that they weren't quite ready to see go just yet. And consequently, those people were getting voted off the show. They assumed that it was all good, that they were going to clearly be taken care of and that they would win, but they were getting voted off as a result. We cannot assume that everyone else is doing it. If we do that and everyone takes, has that mindset, we're going to be in big trouble. Right? So that, that can be uh, devastating because unfortunately, and this is so true, I think even with just hands-on practical service in the church, guys, oftentimes it seems like there's 10, maybe 20% of the congregation doing 100% of the work. You have those same people who have been doing the same thing for so long and they're burned out, but nobody else is willing to get in there and do it. They just assume that it's okay, that it's being taken care of. Don't, don't do that. Don't fall into that thinking, whether it be serving practically or giving. And then verse 12, he says, For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. So Paul just kind of comes back to this idea. If you have a willing heart, a willing mind to give, give according to what, what you can, how you feel led of the Lord. Seek the Lord. Be led of Him. Give in accordance with, with what you feel the Lord would have you to give. Don't be pressured. Don't be manipulated. Give for the right reasons. So in closing, I want to drop back to verse 9. Because I want us to close reflecting on that. I want to close reflecting on our Lord, on our Savior, Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. I love Jesus. How can I not? Um, I think about the youth... Uh, they're young and they, they haven't experienced a lot yet. They haven't got out there and really messed up. So sometimes I don't think they, they understand the grace part just yet or the mercy of our Lord. I realize that I am a sinner, that I have messed up, that I don't deserve God's goodness, that I deserve God's wrath, I deserve His judgment. But God is merciful. God is gracious. And He became poor so that I could be rich. So that I could know the fullness of His love and His goodness. And be with Him for all of eternity. And that's heaven, guys. It's so, not so much a place as it is a person. We get to be with Jesus.
we get to worship Him uh, in, in glory and perfection. I long for that day. But until then, we can, do, we can worship Him right now. Amen? So, I want to close on that note, and we're going to give an opportunity for people to respond. So if you need prayer, we're going to have people up here who are available to pray for you. If you want to turn away from your sins and follow Christ, you can do that right now. You can make that decision. You can commit to the Lord Jesus. We'll have people up here who can help guide you in that. If you want to be pray, if you want to receive the Spirit, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we want to pray for you in that. And I want to do something a little differently, a little different today. Um, we sang that song earlier called Come to the Altar. And in the south where I'm from, that's a really big thing. We say, if y'all want to just come up front to the altar, I don't really know why they call the front steps an altar, but they call it that. But I'll tell you what it, what it is, guys. Just like the woman who came to Jesus and said, if I could just touch the hem of His garment, I will, I'll be healed. It's not that His garment was anointed. It was that that was her, her, uh, the release point of her faith. That was where she, she just knew that if she could do this thing, if she could touch Jesus, that she would be made well. It was her faith that was that point of contact. So I think there's something special about if you don't want to pray with somebody, but you just want to meet with the Lord, there's something about coming forward and saying, you know what, there's a lot of people in this room, but I'm desperate. I just need to be touched by God. I want to meet with the Lord, and I will humble myself. I'll stand up in front of everyone and acknowledge that I just need Him. I believe that the Lord honors that. So even up front, if you want to come up front and kneel and pray to the Lord, just you and Him, you can do that. You can do that. But we're here for you guys. And, and we love you. We want to minister to you. We want you to be able to respond as the Lord I know has been speaking to hearts. So we want to do that for you. So the worship team, if you would come up. Whoever's going to be leading us. And I'm going to pray for us, alright? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time that we have had just to sit at Your feet and to read the Word of God and to take it in. Thank You that I know Your Holy Spirit was here and is here and is speaking. So I pray that that people would respond, that they would come forward. I know there are many different needs in this room. I pray that people would just let go and come forward and humble themselves and ask for ask for prayer, that they would surrender themselves to You completely, Lord, that they would be filled with the Spirit. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.